Welcome to the Compounders Podcast, where we explore the anatomy of public company wealth creation stories. On this show, we invite you to be a fly on the wall for the actual conversations professional investors have with public company CEOs. I'm your host, Ben Claremont, a partner and portfolio manager at Cove Street Capital. In these conversations, I interview senior executives by posing the exact questions I ask as part of Cove Street's diligence process. Whether you are a professional investor, founder, or someone who is simply interested in business, we think this podcast has something for you. This season of Compounders, The Anatomy of a Multibagger is sponsored by Tegas. Tegas is an innovative and disruptive company that is changing the way professional investors work. For more information, please visit their site at tegas.co. All opinions expressed by your hosts and the podcast guests are solely their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of Cove Street Capital or any affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not investment advice and should not be relied upon for any investment decisions. We are not recommending the purchase or sale of any securities. The hosts and guests may be beneficial owners of the securities discussed. You should not assume that the securities discussed are or will be profitable. Our guests on the show today are Malcolm Wilson and Mark Manduka, the respective CEO and CIO of GXO Logistics. GXO is a $7 billion market cap company that provides logistics services to companies around the world. The company was recently spun off from XPO Logistics and now has the freedom to invest aggressively to help its customers with supply chain and warehouse automation. COVID, supply chain disruptions, and rising labor rates around the world have made companies start to think deeply about their supply chains and to consider outsourcing and automation. As such, Given how well GXO would appear to be positioned for the future, I was really looking forward to talking to Malcolm and Mark about the rationale for the spin and what having more autonomy will allow GXO to do, the structural tailwinds that are behind the company as it relates to e-commerce, outsourcing, and warehouse automation, why GXO is definitely not a commoditized warehouse company, why the company is buying Clipper, and the importance of return on capital when it comes to capital allocation. For full disclosure, Cove Street is not a GXO shareholder. And without any further ado, here's my conversation with Malcolm Wilson and Mark Manduka from GXO Logistics. As always, we will start this podcast off at a pivotal moment for the company. In this case, GXO spinoff from XBO Logistics last August seems like a great place to start. So maybe you could talk about the rationale for the spin and about um, what about being a public company will allow you to pursue something that you may not have been able to achieve with an XPO? Thanks, Ben. Uh, great starter question. So let's remind uh, about the past. So first and foremost, uh, XPO and the SPIN effectively created two powerhouse organizations. XPO, focused to us transportation, GXO, that's our business, GXO. We're primarily focused towards the supply chain and in particular, the warehouse element of the supply chain. And what the spin allowed management to do was really focus all of our attention on customers, all the stakeholders that work within GXO, and of course, the shareholders that support GXO. When I say focus attention, what I mean by that is, it allows us to really laser focus down on driving the best 
the most optimal financial metrics. So return on capital invested, you know, we're doing a great job there. We've improved that steadily since the spin. Working capital, making the best use of working capital. So if we're not putting it back into the business, well, great use, M&A, as you've just seen uh, coming out of the uh, Clipper M&A, and also our top line and our bottom line growth. So from a financial metrics, that's what it's about. But then, in especially with customers, it's allowing us to focus attention on innovation. We're bringing new, more advanced solutions to our customers. We're helping them solve more and more complexity within their own supply chain. We're deploying more and more automation to do that. That, in turn, is helping them save money, improve the services to their customers, and not forgetting ESG, which has become a vital ingredient of any professional organization working around supply chain these days. We were so pleased, you know, just after the spin to uh, gain our AA rating from MSCI, but that's an important aspect. Customers look to us for longevity of relationship, and ESG is, is one of the core elements of that. So when you bring all of that together, we see it in action, our customers see it in action, our investor base see it in action. They see growing sales pipeline, 2.5 billion at the end of last year, growing amount of customer retention. That's very important for us. It's a real strong sign of approval from our customer base. And you see it in the various other metrics that GXO is driving. And we're going to talk about Clipper and we're going to talk a little more about ESG. Uh, but I do want to just dig in a little more on the on the logic for the spin. So when I met with Mark, he mentioned that there were very limited revenue synergies and cost synergies between XPO and GXO, despite what um, XPO had initially hoped for. Do you have any sense of why those never emerged? Yeah, it really comes down to the different services that are being offered Uh transportation, warehouse activity. Um, it's the, best way to, uh, the best way to look at it is if you're a customer and you're considering granting a new contract for a warehouse environment, it's a very strategic decision that you're making. You're probably making a commitment to spend lots of dollars in terms of investment, long-term long contractual arrangements, maybe three, five, or even 10 years in life. You're looking at your partner from a point of view of uh, company values, company culture, ESG, as we just mentioned. Um, so all of these things, it's a very strategically led decision, and it tends to be a C-suite decision-making environment. In a transport environment, not to say it's not an important service that gets contracted. It's a very important service, but it tends to be a more tactical decision. Your tariff structures tend to be more of a 12-month window rather than a long-term window. So you find that, in fact, it's different decision-making bodies in organizations. And I think it took us a little time to work that out. But when we saw it, it's easy to understand why you've got different people making decisions about warehousing environment and transport environment. And that's the primary reason why we never really saw that level of synergy within customers for both services. And sometimes in situations like that, um, the company that's being spun or that doesn't necessarily fit doesn't get the proper level of investment. 
So um, would you say that there are any areas in which GXO was underinvested in, either that's OPEX or CAPEX, or would you say that's not the case? Yeah, absolutely, it's not the case. And I, I can really say that with conviction, having worked in the business for a number of years and seen, in fact, the company come through its life in originally uh, Dondrasong and then being acquired by uh, XPO. So no, no, this is a well-funded organization. Uh, but the spin uh, created in its own right a very... Uh, well-organized business and very importantly you know an investment grade company pretty much on the get-go so immediately as we spun we were aware that we were fully capable investment grade uh, business and that's super important to the kind of customers we work with remember where customers are making decisions for years and years of future collaboration. It's very important that they know that financially we're a strong organization. So very important for those long-term relationships. And you see that in the long tenure of number of years that we work with customer, uh, you see it in the appetite to sign very long-term agreements and blue chip customers, long-term projects. Winners like to work with winners. Uh, and that's very much the analogy I would I would say on that. We're in a great position with our investment grades. Very important to us. We 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 love it dearly, and we you know we'll we'll work very closely to guard that. I think that's a good segue to my next question. So we don't really usually spend a lot of time on this podcast on an overview of what the company does. I mean, people can look up what you do, but I will admit <laughs> when I was first going through your presentations. It took me a little bit of time to nail down exactly what GXO does. So why don't you provide us with a brief summary of the core business and the competitive landscape, just to give people a feeling um, for, for what you guys do? Yeah, we work across a range of verticals. We call them verticals. So to us, a vertical might be e-commerce fulfillment. It could be working in a packed chemicals environment, food and grocery environment, technology, aerospace. We call them verticals. So we work across a, a range of verticals. The company itself, we're a global business. We're the largest pure play contract logistics company in the world. What I mean by that is we're not so organized or interested towards deep sea freights, uh, rates uh, or earth freight. We're just really laser focused on what happens in the warehouse. So that's kind of an explanation of the shape of the business. But the best way I can answer your question, Ben, is to say that we actually improve our customers' supply chains. We, and we do that with a strong focus in the warehouse. We help them solve problems. Those problems can be many different falls. It could be a, a need to improve inventory turn. It could be a speed to the market. It could be an improvement of service to the consumer, a lifting of quality, an improvement of safety records, you name it. But we're about trying to help our customers improve their business. And we'll do that through redesigning the uh, environment, redesigning the warehouse, implementing new warehouse. More and more these days, we're bringing in large scale automation, different types of automation to speed up the process in the warehouse. But, you know, when you cut through all of that, ultimately what we're also doing is we're saving our customers money. And that's why 
They like working with us. We deliver really reliable solutions to them. They know they can trust and count upon GXO, and they know by working with us, they're going to save money. They're going to be more effective, more cost-effective, more efficient, able to deliver a better service to their customers and the end consumer. And you have multiple ways of, of getting paid, um, so-called open book versus closed book contracts. Um, and I think it's important for someone who's looking at this company to understand the differences there. So can you talk about those? And then if you prefer one to the other? Yeah, so open book contracts is typically where we work with a customer, we'll agree a budget, of course, uh, but typically every single cost associated to undertaking that service for the customer is passed through to the customer. Those are very attractive types of contracts because clearly right now we're in a much higher inflationary level, energy powering the warehouses, um, labor, labor wage rates, much higher levels of inflation right now. So open boot, all of those costs go across to the customer. And we earn fees, management fees, gain share fees, based upon, well, many times they're set fees, sometimes they're percentages of overall turnover, sometimes they're gain share. So we get paid a percentage of improvements that we bring in to the customer. So that's a typical open boot customer. The other type of customer that we see more and more now, uh, which particularly we like, we like all kind of contracts that we work with customers, none better than the other. They're, they're all very desirable to us. But we have something called the hybrid type of contract. And that, for simple explanation, it's all the elements of an open boot contract. But we ourselves might choose to allocate certain aspects of the cost base into a more transactional price base. And we like that because that enables us to see benefits equally as we're improving the operation, we're seeing more and more benefits. But of course, we're always protected with minimum volumes and other protections because you know it's, it's really important for us in the end, a, a good contract is a contract that's running smoothly, satisfying our customers' needs, ensuring that we get paid, get our cash on cash back from our investments. And in fact, you know, we're, we're earning a, a, a good level of uh, bottom line to support the rest of our business. So that's, that's typically how we're working, but we don't really have a strong preference one way or the other. We, we drive both type of businesses and it tends to be which fits best around the individual customer. And when, when Mark and I met, I think we were joking about how sometimes your customers don't even know that their warehouses are not performing and, <laughs> and, and, and could use some help. And so, I mean, that's probably true where, you know, investors or your customers not quite un, might not quite understand the value you're adding. So has that been an issue for you guys? And if so, like, what are ways in which you can highlight why GXO is such a good partner? Yeah. You know, for many, many years, the warehousing environment, I, I think for lots of organization, tends to be a little bit of a, a lost area. You know, it's not the core line of focus. If you're a design company, you're all about designing products. If you're a manufacturer, you're about manufacturing products. The warehouse kind of fits somewhere, but uh, sometimes can get left behind. And in an environment, as we've seen in the last years, huge advancements in terms of uh, technology enablement in the warehouse space, 
Huge advancements also in how organizations are servicing their customers. You know, e-commerce, e-fulfillment has been such a rapidly growing entity for the past years that pushes organizations to have to revisit how they actually operate, the design of their warehouse, the kind of technology that is required to move those huge volumes of product around in a warehouse in a speedy, safe, high-quality environment. So in essence, it's all of that background that pushes organizations to have to rethink how they undertake their business. And in many instances, it's actually simply very difficult for companies to change what they've done for many years. And it's much more attractive to them to work with a professional, well-known, highly reliable uh, organization. And that's where GXO comes in. And we see that directly in the metrics that we uh, drive, you know, a very high level of sales pipeline, 2.5 billion at the end of last year. When we look at that pipeline, you know, what we can clearly see is a lot of repeat business, a lot of new pro projects with our existing customer. Uh, so we're growing what we do with existing customers. A lot of projects coming into us from companies who have outsourced in the past and are choosing maybe to revisit the partner that they use. And very interestingly, we see a lot of projects coming, first-time companies outsourcing. Great, I mean, so many great examples I, I can share with yourself and, and your listeners. But I mean, a good one would be um, recently, you know, the new large technology win uh, in Europe with uh, Curry's, a big technology retailer, first-time outsource. Great, you know, it's a kind of big change for a lot of companies, but a change that they are welcoming, they're welcoming, welcome with open arms because they see it. It's a way for them to transform their business and the service offer and how they go about delivering a great experience to the consumers that are purchasing their products. And I know um, outsourcing is one of the three secular tailwinds that, that you think are helping uh, GXO grow. So maybe you can talk as we take a step back and talk about the market you're selling into. Can you talk about how increasing e-commerce penetration, more warehouse automation, and you know further outsourcing represent uh, long-term opportunities for GXO to expand? Yeah, those are super tailwinds for GXO. They're not something new. I mean, they, these things have been happening for the past few years. What I would say is outsourcing, that's just going to continue to grow and grow and grow. I mean, we work in a huge market, roughly around 420 billion US of addressable market. Only around 100 or so of that is already outsourced. So there's 300 still not outsourced. So it's a huge opportunity for us to grow our business. Our percentage of the market is really very small uh, today. So huge opportunities for us. E-commerce, you know, I, I, it's very topical right now, Ben. I, I hear a lot of people saying, oh, e-commerce is slowing down. Well, ooh, we're not seeing that in our business, I can assure you. What we are seeing is that as brick and mortar has opened up as a consequence of, thank, thankfully, the pandemic, you know, is, is, is coming to an end. I, I dare to say it's coming to an end or it's coming uh, to a much lower level of impact. 
we are seeing that the consumer is going back into brick and mortar. So you can easily imagine, well, maybe that means e-commerce is slowing a little bit. But actually, it's far outweighed by just the sheer volume of organizations who are moving more and more and more of their different product lines online. They want to sell and have a relationship directly with the consumer more and more. No wonder it's, it's helping them deliver a better service. It's saving them money. You know, the profitability on an e-com line is much, much higher than what might exist from a, a traditional brick and mortar. So e-commerce, we see it as a, a growing level of activity, uh, no different than it has been in past years. And e-commerce e e fulfillment represents roughly around 50% of our business. So it's a huge growth engine. We're very pleased about that. And the last point I would say is e-commerce in particular is one of the drivers that has made organizations to need to rely upon more and more technology in the warehouse environment, whether that's uh, deep uh, storage, automated storage, whether it's more and more conveyoring around the warehouse, could be robotic arms, it could be uh, goods-to-person robotics, uh, collaborative robots. But when you put all of that into a warehouse, make it all work together as GXO does with its systems and its expertise and its teams, it's really a compelling environment, you know, for outsourcing. So automation is it's necessary to drive through the high volumes of activity that we see customers needing us to deal with in a warehouse environment. You have to remember that the warehouse nowadays is typically the last place. The next person that touches the product is you or I. If we order online, we naturally expect the goods to be with us in the morning, maybe even later that day. But the last people to touch that product is somebody working in a warehouse. In the past, years ago, the last person would have been probably somebody in the storeroom of the retail store. All of that workload is effectively going from the back of the staging area in a retail brick and mortar store. It's going into the warehouse. And that's why you see such a high level of growth in a warehousing environment. It's a lot of new activity now that is being channeled through the warehouse, not just traditional warehousing activity as well. So many of our customers are actually asking us to do almost manufacturing type of equipment, uh, manufacturing type of activity from our warehouses, you know, uh, customizing of products and so on. And so, uh, so this is all new. And it's one of the reasons why you see this very high level of growth, dynamic growth coming from a, a GXO company. Compounders is brought to you in partnership with Tegas. We created Compounders to uncover the lessons and frameworks of the best capital compounders in the world. And if you are a professional investor, VC, or operator, and you appreciate the deep research into the businesses explored on this podcast, check out tegas.co slash compounders. With Tegas, you can learn about any company directly from former execs, current customers, and industry experts, all of which are in position to offer unique insights into companies' growth its customer value, and its competition. What makes Tegas different is that you don't have to lead your own expert calls. The platform offers instant access to the world's largest collection of investor-led call transcripts on companies such as Compounders, Guests, Viasat, 
Element Solutions, and Avid Technology. All you have to do is log in and you'll get instant access to nearly 25,000 expert call transcripts. And the best part, the Tegas collection grows larger with each investor and company that joins. Still want to do your own expert calls? Tegas is the right solution. Experts that are just as good or better than what you'd find on other networks, but starting at just $300 per call, not the $1,000 or more others charge. If you're ready to go deeper on the next compounding business, head to tegas.co slash compounders for a free trial. I can personally say that having access to the Tegas platform and Rolodex of experts has fundamentally changed the quality of due diligence Coast Street does on both new and existing ideas. You know, it's interesting that you said there is that um, there are three, there are synergies between those tailwinds. So e-commerce penetration plus automation leads to more outsourcing. That's an interesting dynamic I hadn't really considered. So, but if I'm a company and I'm running my own logistics, I might be a little worried that if I outsource, I lose control. And I can imagine if I'm a, you know, a technology company or, or a retail company or, or, you know, or someone who's, who sells physical products, like I want a lot of control over that. So how do you get past that? And, and what do you tell people who say, I, I shouldn't outsource because I, I, I'm worried about losing control? Yeah. You know, across all of our 900 uh, or so locations on a global basis, I mean, we have a large catchment of customers that we work with over many, many years. Uh, Customers like to work with GXO. They get the same solution no matter where in the world they work with us, but they keep a control. That's very important. Customers tend to want to have a strong focus on their own manufacturing, their own sourcing, their designs, because consumer experience happens in the warehouse. It's a part and parcel of that. And typically, when we start to work with a customer, we'll spend a lot of time and energy together working out the levels of service, the different criteria. Of course, customers come to us for our expertise in automation, our technological expertise, our systems, warehouse management systems, warehouse control systems. But above and beyond, they like the fact that we're very independent. You know, if we're working for a customer, we're working for that customer. That's our absolute sole focus in life. You know, we're not uh, retailing other products or anything like that. We're a real laser focus on our customer activity and helping them be the best organization in terms of how they provide goods and services to their customers that they can be. That's our primary mission. And really, we, we've never encountered any worry from customers about, about loss of control. And you mentioned the pipeline that's pretty healthy. And I know that you've been winning contracts at a pretty healthy clip. Can you talk about what the solutions you're offering? Like what, what are differentiated about those and what's allowing you to build that pipeline and, and achieve these wins recently? Yeah, you know, I think it starts with reputation. It's a funny thing to say, but reputation, our reputation is that when we commit to a customer that we're going to deliver a project, we generally deliver it and we deliver it on time reliably. It goes live when it needs to be. And that's very important in our industry when a project can typically be 12 months in the discussion. It can be 12 months, 18 months in the actual delivery. Maybe we have to build a new warehouse. That warehouse has to be fitted out with all manner of different technology and, uh, and, and, and 
uh, automation, we might have to recruit a large scale of people. And that's not always so simple in a very tight labor market, particularly in 2021, market was really tight. So reputation counts for everything in our industry and GXO have a superb reputation um, backed by strong customer retention, uh, growing number of blue chip organizations wanting to do business with us. But then on top of that, of course, it's our ability to work out a solution with our customer. Invariably today, nearly everything we do has a reasonable level of tech enablement technology in it. You know, the most extreme is a warehouse that will embody every kind of automation that we can think of from very sophisticated scanning equipment to robotic arms, to goods to person robotics, to conveying deep store. And, you know, when you bring all of that together, our warehouse control systems do exactly that into one big ecosystem. There's very, very few organizations able to actually provide that kind of service. So I think it's these are the aspects that really tend to differentiate our, our business. But I think it starts with reputation, people, um, you know, our ability to attract the highest level of talent into GXO, uh, even when we're in a very tight uh, labor market. I was so pleased in 2021 at the busiest time of the year, we were able to bring into our company over 20,000 new employees, many of those employees still in our business today in North America, in Europe, helping us implement all the new range of customer contracts that are going live right now, even as we uh, even as we speak today, you know, in a, in a quarter one and quarter two, it's very busy time for our business. But I think it all comes from reputation. We deliver for our customers. And on this podcast, we focus a lot on sustainable competitive advantages and moats. So I'm interested. Once you have a contract, how sticky is that relationship? And maybe talk a little bit about the switching costs if, for some reason, a client wanted to consider another partner at some point. Yeah, relationships in our business uh, tend to be very sticky. I mean, I can point to so many of our big customers where we've worked together for 20, 25, 30 plus years. And typically today, when we enter into a new contract, contracts themselves can be five, 10, even 15 years of, of length. So you, you're kind of, it's when you're working with a customer, it's a bit like getting married. You know, you really spend a lot of time and energy deciding that it's going to be the right partnership, you know, that there's a cultural fit, that businesses have the same values. So once you've done that, it tends to be a very, very sticky relationship. And not just in terms of, relationship you know you're connecting it systems you're connecting technology so in fact the challenge to make a change after that becomes quite extreme it's quite a risky environment we could say uh, to start making changes and that's why you invest so much energy up front to get it right at the beginning we're very pleased so many of our customers uh, vote uh, the confidence of our business relationship by giving us more and more business. Every year, it accounts for broadly around a third of the new business that we start 
to work with is coming from our existing customers. I think that's the strongest indictment that you could possibly have about the capabilities and the future success for, for GXO. And you mentioned the strong retention rates, but I'd love to hear a little more, you know, what have about what have retention rates looked like historically? And then maybe talk a little bit about your strategy um, behind making those even higher over time. Yeah. So the company's always had a good retention rate. You know, we I, I can say, because I've, I've worked in it for many years, we've always done a great job for our customers. But GXO and the Spain allowed us to really double down our focus on keeping our customers happy, keeping them content, uh, creating an environment where they really wanted to give us more and more business. They felt secure to give us more and more business. So some high visible points, you know, those investment grade, double uh, A rating uh, from MSCI on ESG. These are kind of tangible, visible aspects uh, that allow customers to want to give us more and more business. But internally also, we redesigned our business. Um, we uh, implemented a range of key account management under the under a, under a centralized manager, a chief commercial officer, Bill Frame, brand new role in GXO. And what this did is it allowed us to really get super close to all of our customers. And by doing that, it allowed us to identify any areas where we could improve. You know, sometimes in a big organization, you know, 900 locations, it's possible to have a, an individual location or even a manager that is somehow not quite where we want them to be. That's life. You know, that can happen. So by having a, an in, a, a, a another layer of customer-focusing focusing managers, it helped us identify really even the remaining areas where we felt that we could improve. And we saw that most noticeably at the end of 2021, where our customer retention rates had noticeably lifted up and i think you know that level of customer attention rate that we see today no reason for me to consider that that will change uh, you know as we go into the future uh, mark i mean mark I, you played a valuable role in this working with the commercial teams maybe, maybe you could make a comment mark also on that point i love your point and it, it ties in with what you were saying earlier malcolm our retention rate today in the mid to high 90s it is also a part of how this business has changed so much in the last 20 years. If you think about the old model of warehousing that Ben was referring to earlier, that commoditized warehouse, what we were doing was basically you hired a team of people and they in turn moved boxes. And it would be from one end of the warehouse to the other. And at the end of the contract, it was fairly easy to hire a new group of people to move those same goods around the warehouse. That was 20 years ago, two arms, two legs, push a box, a fairly commoditized process, as you say, Ben. As a result of the lack of intellectual property and unique service offering, what would inevitably happen is that price tended to dominate those contract discussions that we would have. But if you fast forward to the example that Malcolm was giving today about why our retention rates are high, what we offer today is a highly bespoke, integrated tech solution. It's sourcing hardware, software, and parts from all around the world, seamlessly bringing it together. 
And therefore, the difference here today between good and great within the warehouse, i.e. doing it yourself, good, versus outsourcing it to us, great, is a magnitude. So it's a multiple in so many ways of efficiency. So it's even more important today because you have that tech nuance, you have that IP. That's really what's driving these switching costs. That's really what's driving the retention rates higher. And our top 20 customers have been with us for 15 years on average. Those retention rates, as I mentioned, in the mid to high 90s. This is a business that is a very long duration business. And basically what you're going to see here, Ben, is that customers are going to gravitate towards the big global 3PLs in this world of e-commerce, as Malcolm um, explained. And you have tech leadership under the GXO banner. And that's why we're seeing these customers coming to us in their droves and staying with us, as Malcolm said. And my guess is that automation is going to play a big role in that. So let's dig in a little bit on automation and what that actually means on the ground. So you highlight the levels of automation in your facilities and suggest that those rates are higher than the industry as a whole. So maybe talk a little bit about what automation means to GXO and you know what more automation in general. I mean, if there's any tangible numbers or metrics that you could highlight that about the benefits of, of further automation within the customer. Yeah. So, Ben, our company right now, we're roughly around 35% of our locations are automated um, to, a, a, to a one degree or another. But we can say there's a lot of automation running. We were an early adopter, an early leader um, in automating the warehouse environment, putting tech and enabling it to operate throughout the warehousing environment. Um, if you compare that to a normal warehouse uh, kind of operator, that's probably more like a five or seven or eight percent. And a good example of that is, I mean, the business that we are just in the midst of acquiring Clipper, it's a great company. But in fact, you know, when we look at the level of automation in the business, it's much, much lower than a GXO. So that early adopter uh, environment that GXO had has really paved the way for our leading position when it comes to tech enablement. Uh, the great thing about GXO is we're not kind of wedded to one particular manufacturer. You know, so many different manufacturers of really incredibly uh, advanced equipment, and it's changing at such a rapid uh, rate nowadays. You know, technology advancement in the warehousing space is really uh, at, at a full uh, scale right now. You know, equipment that we might implement a year ago, you know, quite, quite often we'll be replacing it now with new equipment because just technology itself has moved forward so much. But the good thing that if you work with a GX or the good thing you get is you get all of the experience, expertise of running so many different facilities so many different solutions for customers. You get all of that benefit of knowledge, which enables us to then design the very best solutions for our customers. More often than not, it's the design of the solution that the customer is really ultimately buying. That's, his, that's the buying point. That's the decision-making criteria. Two companies could look at a problem and design two entirely different solutions. So experience scale really counts for a lot because it gives you a lot of different examples to look at and think about 
what will be best for that particular customer. And invariably, nowadays, uh, the range of different technology that operates in a warehouse, I mentioned already, you know, goods to person robotics, collaborative robotics, robotic arms. Great example, I was in one of our warehouses the other week in Memphis, and I saw an automated um, pallet consolidation line. And typically, you know, it's, it's uh, several robotic arms uh, undertaking work, quite, quite strenuous work. You know, I was pleased that the robotic arms were doing it and we didn't have our own teams doing it. It's, uh, but doing it in a much higher level of productivity, uh, much more safely, much higher quality or finished items. So there's real tangible reasons why automation brings benefits uh, in terms of productivity and ultimately cost. And for GXO, we're able to embrace all of those different uh, manufacturers of equipment, uh, thinking process solutions. We use our own systems to control everything that happens in the warehouse. Our own teams of people are the people that make the implementations, the deployment, and then you know see through the first months of life before handover to our skilled operational management team. So that's how we are moving forward in from an automation point of view. It, it's a it's really a very exciting environment for the company. And one of the reasons you know we have a very high level of people retention is in fact. People like to work with technology. They like to be associated with it. It's modern. Um, so, you know, very much it's, it's really working for us in a, in a very good, positive way. And you mentioned the Clipper acquisition in that response. So that seems like a good opportunity for you to talk about why Clipper was an interesting target and why, you know, you guys just spun off. So I'm interested, like, why you thought this was the right time to pursue Clipper. Yeah, it's, it's thanks for asking that question because it's is I, I like to explain uh, I like to explain this point because it, it helped people understand the, maybe the uh, our strategy when it comes to M and A. So first and foremost, you know we're a young company. I mean we're we're not yet through our third earnings, so we're still quite a young company. And when we made the spin. In fact, we started life with no M&A team. So very much just top management, looking at the market, looking at the services that we were providing in each geography, and kind of bringing together a kind of list of areas where we could see there would be a big benefit that M&A might bring. It might be difficult for us to bring through normal organic uh, growth. Um, some of the criteria that we set ourselves, we, you know, a, what a good M&A would look like. Well, we set ourselves criteria. Each It could reinforce our position in an existing market. It might enable us to enter a new vertical. Remember those verticals I mentioned. Maybe it could allow us to enter a new geography. So these were the criteria that we set. And we brought together a list of different organizations. Clipper was one of the companies that we identified as being an organization that could bring a lot of good things to GXO. So one, it operated in the markets that we operate in today. So it, it would enable us to reinforce our position in the UK market. That's already a strong position. But Clipper themselves have a strong e-fulfillment business, but in particular, a very strong, even stronger than GXO, reverse logistics business and reverse 
goes hand in hand with e-fulfillment. So we could see an environment that it would allow us to expand even more quickly our own reverse logistics offering. In addition, there were some new verticals that Clipper would bring in. So one very exciting one for us, repairs and refurbishment. Uh, they have a very enviable uh, business that works with all the big manufacturers. It has accreditation with many technology manufacturers where they're authorized to actually undertake refurbishment repairs of products. From an ESG point of view, wow, that is a winner. You know, it is superb. You know, longer the days gone where you dispose of something because it's not working. You know, you ideally want to try to do something with it. Other verticals that we were not party to as GXO, healthcare, life sciences, uh, Clipper have developed a very enviable uh, position in this vertical. And uh, although, although they've done a great job, it's a vertical that needs scale. So when we put that into GXO, we're very confident that that vertical also will grow at a fast pace. And the last thing I would say is, from a geographer point of view, um, Clipper also operated across uh, Western Europe, and in particular in Germany. Now, for GXO, Germany is a market where we're very small. It's strange. It's the largest economy in Europe, but actually we have one of our smallest businesses in Germany. So when we put the Clipper business together with the GXO business, it will be it will give us a real critical mass. And we know already from oh, just so many customer conversations and inquiries that we're going to do incredibly well uh, you know, in this German market. It's a huge addressable market for us. We're overly represented today. So we're very, very excited uh, to do this. The Clipper deal also, I mean, goes without saying, highly accretive, accretive top line, bottom line, EPS, um, so great from that, uh, great from that aspect also. Uh, and, you know, the, the last uh, point I would make is culturally, this is a company that's a good fit. You know, culture matters. You know, it's really values of the business. We could see in this company that it would be an easy company for us to integrate. It would integrate very smoothly. Tons of synergies talked in the announcements around $48 million of cost synergies that will come as a consequence of this uh, deal. So overall, it's a great deal. It's a great deal for GXO, great deal for everybody associated with GXO. And anytime you talk about acquisitions and capital allocation, the idea of um, you know return on capital comes up. And it's interesting, as I'm reviewing your materials, it quickly becomes clear that return on capital is a very important metric. You know, I think, unfortunately, that's not true for a lot of companies we come across. So maybe maybe discuss first, um, or, or just discuss in general, where that high return on capital as you're investing in your business, where does that come from? And what allows you to generate, you know, returns on capital of 30% plus or, you know, kind of high 20s that you've been re- uh, achieving in recent quarters? Yeah, Mark, maybe you can jump in on this one. Yeah, sounds good, Malcolm. I mean, Ben, these are fabulous long-term contracts as as we've been discussing on this podcast. And the returns therefore really come from the business model and the way that we write these very well-written quality contracts, long-term in nature with a focus on that 30% return on invested capital that you referred to, with also three-year cash paybacks, by the way, and accounting focus on day one. So, 
A large number of these contracts, as you know, are very asset light in nature. Malcolm referred earlier to these cost plus contracts, otherwise known as open book contracts, as you referred to in your question. And those returns therefore emanate from those open book contracts. But be in no doubt, the contracts we're writing here across the piece of open book, hybrid and closed book, they all have those tenants that we discussed. That's our focus. Good returns from day one, good accounting profitability from day one, longer and longer duration, higher switching costs with tech, and it allows us to produce those returns going forward. It was really interesting for me to see that return on capital was also being used to compensate the sales force. I mean, we focus a lot on compensation and incentives on this podcast. So, I mean, how would you expect that shift in compensation metrics to impact people's behavior? Let, let me jump in on that one, uh, Mark. Um, so, I mean, our sales teams, we, we try to incentivize management generally aligned with the benefits that we bring from uh, to our investors. I mean, it's as simple as that. So we want people to drive the business forward in a profitable uh, way. Um, so, you know, in, in from a sales perspective, teams are very much incentivized as they have been in the past, you know, that we look to the top line, but we want profitable uh, business growth at the same time. You know, we're not just about growing the business for growing the business sake. That, that's no benefit to anyone. Um, we have a strong governance that underwrites this, as, as Mark mentioned, not just when it comes to when we're investing our capital into projects. That governance extends across the whole aspect of signing up new customers. And return on capital investment, it's an important measure for us. So it's important that all of the key teams who are working on projects understand the, the metrics that the company itself gets measured on. So we're a firm believer in that, and it's put us in good stead uh, in the past, and, and I have no doubt it, it will continue to do so. And we are undoubtedly operating in a rising cost environment. My guess is labor costs are rising and material costs are rising, equipment costs are rising across your entire business. And you know you're also spending a fair amount on on of, of, uh, you know to to facilitate automation within your partners. So I'm just trying to get a sense of you know I, I get how in in certain contract forms there's there's room for um, for to, to be able to take pricing um, you know based on a cost plus thing kind kind of structure. But I'm just trying to get a sense of like how how do you feel like you're going to operate within an inflationary environment? How do you pass along prices, especially if you know kind of longer duration contracts? And how do you make sure that you're getting paid as you know for for the services and the the, the design uh, you know the design that you guys are creating? Yeah, you know, inflation it's not a good environment. No, it's not good for anybody. Nobody really wants the high levels of inflation that we're seeing today. But you know, the nature of our agreements with customers, how we work with our uh, customers, it does allow us to pass those costs. Onto customers, sometimes that could be a kind of month uh, lag of time, you know, while we discuss those issues and, and find agreements. But generally, those costs go back to our customers. But, you know, importantly, what I would say is whenever you see a high level of inflationary environment, in fact, we could say whenever there's a disruptive environment, you know, that disruption could be coming from, as we've seen over the past two years, the pandemic. It could be coming from a spike, uh, a new level of inflation. I think we can safely say every one of us is getting used to working in a new level of inflation. 
you know, I don't think inflation is going to reduce down uh, in the short term. So we're all kind of getting used to inflation levels of five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, twenty percent, depending upon where we are in the world. And even in a disruptionary environment that might come as a consequence of a downturn in the economy, all these environments from a GXO perspective tend to drive customers to look for different ways of doing things. It's, it's, I, I wouldn't like to say it's a good environment for GXO when there's a, a disruption like high levels of inflation, most certainly not a pandemic. <laughs> well, let's hope we avoid any any serious downturn. But you know, these environments actually spur customers on to need to look to how they can improve doing what they do. And that's one of the reasons we are seeing this high level, this uh, focused level of more and more organizations choosing to outsource. Uh, I think it's no surprise that that's coming out of this last two years of pandemic. Now we're going into a, a much higher level of inflationary environment. Uh, it, for me, I, I see no surprise in the fact that our sales pipelines are very strong, so many new organizations coming to want to work with GXO and benefit from all of the different initiatives that we're able to bring along. And my guess is that the supply chain is now a topic of conversation in a way it wasn't maybe three years ago. Now, no matter who you are, you're thinking about it a lot more. Um, and, and so I know this is a pretty fragmented market in terms of the, the people who deliver the services. I, I know DHL has a big business and you guys are one of the bigger players. But I'm just trying to get a sense of like scale seems to matter a lot here, you know, for larger customers being able to go around the world with their customers and then the ability to invest and to design these projects in a way that 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 is very efficacious. So I'm trying to get a sense of like, how, how can someone who doesn't have the scale that you guys have even compete in, the, in a more and more dynamic world? Yeah, Mark, maybe I know you've done quite a bit of research on this, Mark. Yeah, so look, scale is so important, as, as Malcolm has said. When contracts were written in the past, it would be very much a price-focused conversation. Bringing all of Malcolm's points that he made today about what the warehouse is today and, and how we focus on scale and technology and ESG, it really moves price further and further down the rungs. Technology penetration is really the major portion of that, Ben. That's what's really driving these longer and longer contracts. That's what drives our our revenue visibility, our switching costs going up. Our customers want to be with us because they know that we know how to execute, because that we know that we can bring the scale of not just expertise, but of property, our ability to source last mile, warehousing in particular in a market which is clearly constrained for last mile warehousing. And then Malcolm's point earlier about labor, being able to globally source labor, but do it on a region by region, zip code by zip code basis, and be, being able to do it effectively, not just seasonally through peak season, but in times of supply chain discord, as we've seen in the last 12 months, is why customers are coming to us in their droves. So this is a scale game that has many, many tentacles as to why customers are coming to us. And I'm interested uh, in, ter about in the things that would you know, not allow you to achieve the or benefit from the tailwinds that are that are behind you. So, I mean, I, given what GXO does, I would say a factory analogy is appropriate. So if um, you were running a factory, you would have physical capacity constraints that would limit your growth. But I'm interested in what kind of constraints do you have in terms of continuing the recent growth streak? 
Obviously, you talk about people. Um, is it, you know, obviously sourcing people is, is difficult, but also, you know, is it the speed at which you can deploy capital? I mean, what what stops this business from being, I don't know, 10 times larger over the last, next 15 years? So uh, listen, let me let me jump in there, and I'll ask Mark to uh, to come in also on it. You know, we could grow at a much faster pace than we're growing right now. It's a question I'm often asked. You know, why, why don't you why don't you grow at like twenty or thirty percent per year? Well, the reality is we could. The customer demand is there. So many projects that we could sign if we desired to. But we're quite choosy. We have a strong governance when it comes to signing up customers. We have a very strong governance, as Mark already mentioned, when it comes to where we deploy our own capital. And it's that governance that really kind of enables us to drive our business forward in a good way. You know, high quality customers, blue chip, the bluest of the blue chip customers is the customers we work with. That's our client base. And so, you know, we're, we're interested in quality. We're interested in a, a good level of return on our capital invested. That's very important for us. Cash on cash return out of, out of projects. Um, we're interested in really making the best use of our working capital. So when we bring all those kind of things together, we don't really have limiting factors when it comes to number of people. As an organization, we're an attractive organization for people to have a career with, whether that career is working in a warehouse, whether that career is working as a middle manager or a senior manager. We're an attractive business. People want to work with GXO, and we see that in our ability to attract and retain talent. Um, and, you know, we're an investment grade business, so no real barriers uh, in that regard. But I, I would say, you know, the, the, the reason we grow at the pace we grow at is probably the level of cadence that we place ourselves in how we actually drive our growth and our company forward. You know, it's, it's about quality, um, predictability, reliability. These are really key points for management of GXO. Malcolm, I couldn't agree more with what you said in terms of the, the gating factor. If you think about if you think about the two polar opposites here, on the one hand, you've got this $430 billion total addressable market, where we barely, as the biggest pure play, have $8 billion of revenue within that. So we're scratching the surface here in terms of market share aggregation in this industry. And I really do believe that the big will get bigger here. Ben, to your point earlier about how this is a gravitation towards scale and ESG and technology. The gating factor, as Malcolm, as Malcolm beautifully put it, is nothing to do with labor. It's nothing to do with racking or warehousing. Our scale and our globality really negate that. The only gating factor here on being able to capitalize on this TAM faster, and as Malcolm said, we could grow far faster if we wanted to, is ourselves. We are the only gating factor. We want to make sure that we write the absolute best, bluest of blue chip contracts with value adding them. We don't want to be in the commoditized end of the gene pool when it comes to these contracts. We want to have huge tech enablement. If you go back to Q3 and Q4, Ben, there wasn't a single contract that we wrote that didn't have some element of automation within it. And then, of course, those points that Malcolm made in terms of a focus on returns, cash payback, and accounting profitability on day one, we are the gating factor on our growth. The opportunity is there in that TAM. 
And, and Malcolm mentioned in his response being a good place to work, which is, is really important. And we haven't really talked about culture yet. So how would you describe GXO's culture and how would you say it's evolved over time? Yeah, it's really important to the company, uh, Ben. We spend a lot of management uh, attention in terms of driving the right culture in our company. We do a kind of quarterly pulse survey across all of our employees. We get a huge level of response to that. We drive, we drive right down into the results of that. It's, it's amazing, you know, what you see from those survey results. You can identify by individual location, you know, where maybe we've got management that are not doing what they should be doing, maybe where we've got a site that somehow, you know, as we've missed that we should have upgraded, you know, maybe some canteen facilities or restrooms. So we action on that. We listen to people, you know, we've worked to make GXO just a great place for people to work, uh, you know, in. We, 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 we create an environment that's safe. People should, it's not, it's not a kind of nice to have for people to come to work in the morning, go home safely. It's a must have. And that's the environment that we've created. Inclusion, you know, it's, it's really, we've, we've kind of worked hard to make GXO a super place for people to work. And we see that in the levels of uh, retention of caliber people that want to work in the company and our ability to attract new talent. As I mentioned, last year was a very tight labor market. I think it surprised so many organizations for many uh, companies. In fact, the labor market itself became a real uh, restraint on the ability to sell products. But in GXO and all the companies that we support, it, it most certainly was not. Uh, but only because of the uh, efforts and endeavors that we've made to uh, make the company a great place for people to work. And you've mentioned ESG a couple of times in your responses, and clearly that's a big topic these days. So how have you had to shift company policies or operations, if at all, to satisfy the needs of different stakeholders, but specifically your customers, who I, I assume are also thinking about these things very deeply? Yeah, most certainly. It, I mean, the kind of customers that we work with, um, when they're making a decision about uh, awarding a new contract, in fact, invariably, there's a large ESG team involved in that decision making. They're front and center part of the customer decision making process. And that's why for us, it was so important to come out of the gates early with high levels of ESG uh, credentials. You know, we are with a double A rating that puts us at the highest level of ESG rating amongst all of our peer group. We're very proud uh, to have achieved that, but we're going to double down and even uh, move that forward another step with our sustainability uh, report that is uh, going to be published only in a matter of weeks now. And that's going to establish the longer term plan of uh, sustainability for GX. So we're very excited about that. We embody it practically. You know, when we design and build warehouses, uh, we design into that uh, aspect, everything associated from an environment sustainability point of view, whether it's solar technology, uh, heat and light source technology, all of this is going in to how we design the fabric of the facilities that we operate. So. It's, it's not a kind of nice to have 
world. It's a kind of ticket to do business well, having a strong set of ESG credentials. We work really hard to, for that, very proud of it. And we see that only, you know, getting more and more attention by the company as we move forward. And uh, watch this space, the sustainability report will be uh, very, very useful for all of our customers, our investors. You know, it'll be a, it'll be a very interesting document. I have another quick question, hopefully on, on on culture. In and I think you know you're you're in a world where your customers' needs are changing very rapidly. So the technology changes fast enough in a year that you could have to replace it. So how do you how do you create a culture in which people are encouraged to take a risk and kind of I'm going to use a hockey analogy here, but you know skate to where the puck is going, in, you know, in the future relative to where it's been. Yeah, you know, it, at the heart of GXO, you have an entrepreneurial uh, environment. It's an entrepreneurial spirit. We call it a kind of can-do culture, entrepreneur culture. Um, but at the same time, that has to be married closely together with good cadence and good governance. I think it, I think establishing that right mix uh, gives us the environment that we have at the moment. And it's one of the reasons people like to work in GXO, uh, you know, we were we we like managers who can make decisions, but recognise also that you know there's a strong framework of governance uh, that we work around, and that's important in protecting the business, in protecting the, the investments that shareholders make into GXO, and it's important also in protecting the services that we deliver to our customers. It has to go hand in hand. And here at Cove Street, we like to focus on key variables that are going to drive a company over the next few years. I mean, there's you guys have a lot of things going on, a lot of tailwinds. You're making an acquisition, so. Um, but I'm interested in in what do you think are three things that this company absolutely has to get right for this stock to be a good investment uh, for both your investors and your employees. Well, listen, I'll start on that, but I'm definitely going to ask Mark to jump in on this one as well. But, you know, I have to remember and the whole management team remember that we're a young company. You know, we're kind of we've done two earnings calls. So we're still a really young company. And I think one of the things that's very evident is when I look around the market, if I think about Europe, there's a tiny number of companies that are much smaller than GXO that do something like what GXO does. They're a pure play contract logistics company. In North America, it's virtually zero. Uh, so, you know, I have to recall that, in fact, um, part of what has to happen going forward is people need to understand a little bit more about GX or about how we work, the, how, how we undertake our business. And I think quite rightly, um, they, they want to see a more, a, a, a longer term, you know, uh, uh, performance of the business, which is, which I think is right and correct. Um, Mark, you, could you add anything? Yeah, I, I totally agree with you, Malcolm. I think the first point I would make to your three points, Ben, is firstly execution, as Malcolm said, we have to to do what we say and say what we do. And if we do that, trust and credibility will be built. And you know that trust and credibility are obviously very important in, in, in equity capital markets. And uh, I mean, look, I sleep very well, well at night knowing that Malcolm is at the helm of this operation. He's got 30 years plus of experience. He's seen it all and he's hugely ambitious for this company's ongoing success. So execution is the first one. 
I think secondly, capitalizing on the TAM, as I mentioned earlier, and consolidation of this industry amongst the top two or top three players, I think is going to be a big theme uh, for investors. I think companies that are currently uh, insourced, so customers that are currently insourced, will naturally become more and more outsourced over time. And outsourced companies will, will eventually consolidate towards the, the scale, experienced, third-party logistics providers in the industry such as us. And we've got to prove this, this $430 billion TAM that I talk about. We have to prove that it exists. And in so doing, that will, that will naturally, providing we write the right types of contracts and prove, prove the, the healthy, sustainable returns that we've talked about on this call, that will, that will bear fruit. And then the third thing I think is that's important for shareholders is really communicating about how the business works. And Malcolm's alluded to this a number of times on this podcast. As this business continues to grow, we will, we will have to keep the investment community abreast of our developments and plans for the future. That's obvious. But we also have to show, particularly in times of, of stress in the system, we have to show the resiliency of our business in both an upturn and a downturn. And that contractual long-term nature of our business, if we prove that to people and prove that we're a company for all seasons... I think that will bear fruit for our multiple two. So those three things, execution, capitalizing on the TAM, and clear and resilient communication. The resiliency aspect, Ben, it's an important point that Mark uh, makes. I mean, let me say here uh, loud and clear, you know, we're, we're not kind of immune to the macro. Uh, I don't think any company is. Um, none that I'm aware of, that's for sure. Um, but... In GXO, the way in which we are structured, the, the way our cost base is structured, the way in which we work with our customers, the contractual uh, commercial arrangements that we have with our customers, means that we're relatively protected uh, from the macro. Uh, what I mean by that is, you know, we're not immune, but you're not going to see the big uh, movements up or down. You know, where our business is going to navigate along a relatively narrow boundary of deviation from our plan of activity. And I think, you know, sticky, loyal customers, um, large uh, blue chip uh, environments, long term contracts, um, long duration of uh, relationship. All of these things, high levels of retention, I think is going to prove out over time. But, you know, proof is in the eating. And I, and I go back to my opening comment. You know, we're still a young company. I think Mark's right to uh, call out the fact that I think people just want to see more of what we've been doing, which is delivering on what we've committed to the street and, uh, you know, uh, moving forward, continue to grow our business. You talked about shareholder education within that, and I commend you for, you know, as ambitious as the two of you have been in term, terms of getting the story out. Um, and, and so I think that'll be helpful. Um, so now we'll close with uh, the question that we ask uh, every episode, which is, um, and either one of you can take this or both of you can take it, but um, my guess is there's a fair amount of, you know, new company questions that you get, like, you know, what do you guys do and how do you make money? But what do you think is the most misunderstood or underappreciated aspect of this company? Yeah, you know, I, I, I would say it's actually the, the last point that Mark uh, referenced. I think people don't get just how resilient uh, business model is. I mean, for me uh, personally, you know, I was working in this company during the last big downturn, you know, around 2008, 2009. 
in that in the, that period, profits went up. Uh, you know, this is a very resilient uh, business model. But I, I think, understandably, people don't see that. You know, we're living in a world where, up to present, uh, things have been going very positively, very strongly. Probably we can see a little bit of consumer confidence uh, impact, you know, as a consequence of what's happening in Europe. High levels in inflation, you know, what we what we pay at the fuel pump when we when we're filling up the car all these things i think are set to test this as we go forward and in a way i think that will help a lot of people understand just the absolute resiliency of the business model and how that uh, drives through to the results of gxo going forward mark you talk to a lot of investors any any other things that you get a lot of questions about that you know you wish people would understand a little better understanding the contracts. This is, as Malcolm beautifully put it, this is a contractual business, not a transactional business. And I think as people see that, they'll understand the resiliency of the business. Well, gentlemen, this has been an incredible conversation. I've learned a lot. I continue to learn a lot as I dig more in this company. Um, and I think a lot of people um, could be very interested in the tailwinds behind you and um, you know, just get, need to be educated about what you guys do and what the opportunity is. So I'm hoping that this will be, uh, you know, beneficial for, on that front. Right. Thanks so much for being on Compounders. I appreciate your time, guys. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks for your time, Ben. Thanks for the invite. Much appreciated. That's it for our show today. We hope you enjoyed the conversation. We recognize that you have a lot of different podcast choices and we appreciate you spending the time with us. We are continually working to make the show better and we would love your feedback. The more candid and honest, the better. And if you have any suggestions for public company CEOs you would like to see on the podcast, please let us know. And of course, warm intros are always appreciated. Please feel free to email us at podcast at co-streetcapital.com with your comments or suggestions. Thanks again and stay tuned for the next episode of Compounders, Anatomy of a Multibagger.